This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And I understand that some of you are in chains not because I see the metal dangling from your, your wrist or your ankles, but simply because I know that in just our human walk, there are an abundance of chains that the enemy would place upon us. There's an abundant amount of chains that even our own choices place upon us. There are situations that happen in our life, circumstances that come upon us that suddenly weigh us down with a tremendous amount of things. Have you ever heard someone quote the words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Perhaps you've said them yourself. When Paul spoke those words, he was in prison. When you seek the Lord for His will to be done, make sure it's with the understanding that He will put you where He needs you. If His will takes you out of your comfort zone, you'll still find joy. He provides a peace that passes all understanding and fills the hearts of those who believe in Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1, as he introduces this book. We're going to begin a new journey this morning, and we're going to do the journey uh, through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is a powerful book. It's only about six chapters long, but outside of the book of Romans, my belief really is, as a believer, probably the strongest book that you could really get a grasp of is probably the book of Ephesians, just because it is such a rich book, so full of so many things for you and I as believers. Before we get started, kind of share with you a couple of things. I want you to get the most out of this study of Ephesians. How long we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, I'm not going to guarantee that at all. I, I, I have no clue. Uh, you might get a taste of it by the time we're finished. We're actually only going to cover one verse this morning. But, uh, it's, it's, you know, when you start a book, there's a lot of stuff you, know, you want to lay out beforehand, get some background, some understanding to it. But there's some things I, I'd like to, to encourage you on to get the most out of this study. And if you would take right now, beginning this week, and just take the first three chapters and determine to go ahead and read them yourselves through the week, and I, I would encourage you to read it three times. It's, again, fairly short. you got three chapters times about three minutes. So to the best of my math knowledge, three times three, that's like nine minutes, right? And if, if you take the opportunity to read that maybe three times during the week, then that's like a total of uh, less than 30 minutes that you're investing in preparation for the study. So let me encourage you to do that because I know that God will bless His Word in your life. And it will help you to be able to get a, a better context of the entire letter as we come together. Well, those four things, to be here, to, to bring your Bible, to take some notes of some sort, and to read ahead, and read ahead in prayer. So you say, well, that's good encouragement. Uh, what about you, Pastor? What are you going to do? Well, I'll try to be here on a regular basis. <laughs> I will bring my Bible. I'll already have some notes that I've taken from this study. And I will have read ahead and in prayer look for an application. First of all, for my life. Then for you as individuals. Then for all of us as a church body. Because I believe the Word of God is powerful enough to do that. To touch every heart and life here. 
regardless of the particular text that we are in, regardless of what's going on in your particular life or family, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God can take His Word and impact you sometimes in ways it might not have even been anything that I said, or maybe it's just one word or two of a phrase that I've said, but yet the Holy Spirit of God will take that and really penetrate your heart. So we trust the Lord for that, and so we're going to begin our study this morning in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. There's a lot really and truly right in that first verse, and we're going to kind of look at some stuff. We're not going to go quite this pace through the whole study, trust me, I, I, I understand that. But I do want to give you some good background this morning as we get in. Some of you have possibly studied the book of Ephesians, you know a lot about it, but I know that some of you may not have. So let it be a refreshing for some, and uh, some, hopefully some inspiring information for others. The writer we know was Paul, the apostle. The one thing that you may or may not know is as he's writing this particular letter to this church, or as some believe a group of churches around Ephesus, he was under arrest in Rome. The time frame was about 60 A.D. We're looking about 27 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He was confined either in a prison cell or, as most believe, in a house arrest that gave him a little bit of freedom. But even in house arrest, he was still in chains. To the best of our understanding, they, they speak of him being chained, actually, to a, a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And knowing what we know about Paul, we realize very quickly that Paul wasn't chained to that soldier. That soldier was chained to Paul. And, and, and Paul had that great opportunity of a captive audience to be able to share the truth of the gospel continually. I would imagine they were changing guards pretty quickly on Paul. We look at this, and during this time of chains, we find that he writes actually four letters. Two letters to churches. They're, they're letters of instruction and letters of correction to the churches of, of, of Ephesus and the church of Colossia. Ephesians and Colossians are the books. There's one letter to a church that's more a, a letter of encouragement, a letter of blessing, a letter of thanks, and that's to the church of Philippi, the, the book of Philippians we have. And then one other letter he wrote was more of a personal letter, and that was a personal letter dealing with the, the freedom of a slave, and even our freedom in Christ it speaks so much of, and that's the book to the man of Philemon. We see throughout Paul's writings a thorough understanding of the impact of persecution. Persecution for the believer, and, and Paul understood it actually from two sides. Number one, first off, in his life, he was a persecutor. He persecuted the church, and we also know now that he's come to a saving knowledge of Christ, he becomes persecuted as part of the church. So from both sides, Paul understands about persecution. And he writes to the churches in this area of Ephesus during this imprisonment, and he challenges the body of Christ to live their lives, no matter what their circumstances are that surround them, but to live their lives for the glory of God. You've got to realize, for Paul, this wasn't just simply some 
theological essay that he's writing, oh, these are the great things about being a believer. No, this is a guy that's in the trenches with the ones that he's writing to. And so when he speaks to them about persevering in the faith, when he speaks about them having joy even in the midst of things, when he speaks to them about maintaining their faith and maintaining their walk, here's a guy who is going through it with them. He's not on some white tower writing down to the little ones below. No, he's right there with them. He knows the reality of suffering for the cause of Christ and all the while maintaining the strength of witness in his life. He writes in these chains of physical imprisonment, and all the while he's surrounded with this joy and this peace that passes all understanding. And you know what? That really and truly speaks even to you and I today. And I understand that some of you are in chains, not because I see the metal dangling from your your wrist or your ankles, but simply because I know that in just our human walk, there are an abundance of chains that the enemy would place upon us. There's an abundant amount of chains that even our own choices place upon us. There are situations that happen in our life, circumstances that come upon us that suddenly weigh us down with a tremendous amount of things, and we feel actually bound by these things. Well, let me encourage you that Paul says, even in the midst of chains, God is still God. God is still on the throne, and we can still find rest and peace, and yes, even joy in the midst of these things. He tells the the Ephesian church, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. He reminds the Philippian church, my chains are in Christ. He asks the church of Colossia to pray for him, not for release of the chains, but to have boldness in the midst of them. Boldness in order to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. And then a little bit later, still in Colossians, he says, remember my chains. All throughout the books, as we read of Paul, Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Christ, a prisoner of the Lord. This makes more sense when you realize that the true attitude that Paul had in the midst of all of these things remained as one who was willing to walk the road that was that God laid out for him. God set before him a direction, and Paul was willing to walk it no matter what was going to come about from it. Regardless of the obstacles, he was willing to walk for the glory of the Lord. Paul desired to live his life fully in the will of God. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in his heart and life, he wanted to honor them totally. At times... He found himself moving freely through that Roman Empire, moving as an apostle, moving as a missionary, moving as a church planter, moving as a witness for Christ throughout the whole Roman Empire. And then the next moment, suddenly we find him imprisoned or beaten or stoned or shipwrecked. That's the life of Paul. In all of this, he was still fully surrendered to the will of the Father, regardless of situation, regardless of circumstances, regardless even of the calling and direction that God had on his life. That's why he can encourage the Philippian church, and you can just write this down, you don't need to look it up, but in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he writes these things. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Where's Paul when he's writing this, beloved? He's imprisoned. 
either under house arrest or in a prison cell. He says, I've learned to be content wherever I'm at. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where that verse comes from. That's the context of that verse. And many believers have that verse memorized. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you realize what the context is? Is that the same context that you declare that verse in your life? When suddenly, man, you are surrounded and you are put in a place you don't want to be, situations you don't want to have happening, and literally the walls are, are pressing in on you, are you still able to proclaim, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? You see, that's the real deal. That's what's going on with Paul's life. And that's what he's encouraging the church toward. It's this kind of experience. It's this type of a heart, even while he's in prison in Rome, that he writes here to the church in Ephesus. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul was called by the Lord Jesus Christ for a purpose. To, to receive that office of apostle to the early church. And with that office came a massive amount of responsibility. And his name was now added to the other apostles and, and the work that God had for them in establishing the early church in these early stages. You need to understand that within the context of the New Testament, there was actually the, the office of apostle, but there was also a, a separate and a distinct calling of apostle beyond these 12 men. There was this calling, a, a gifting, a position of apostle separate from the authority of the office of apostle. We read that the Greek word apostolos is one who is sent off on a commission or to do something as one's representative. And the word was used in an official capacity to refer to an ambassador or an envoy. Paul considered himself an official envoy or ambassador of Christ Jesus. We so often speak of the twelve that are called by Christ to that office of apostle, but yet those others are still there. The ones who had the office of apostle had the authority of what we call apostolic authority to the churches. But there were others also that were sent out, and we read throughout our word. In, in Acts 14.4, we read that Barnabas was an apostle. Silas and Timothy are spoken of as apostles in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1 and in 2.6. The fellow Apollos that we read so much about in 1 Corinthians, several instances within 1 Corinthians, he is connected with or drawn together as one of the apostles. There's another couple, and again, possibly could be, and it could go either way. Again, it's not a uh, it's not a hill to die on, but a couple that's called Andronicus and Junia, a husband and wife. And Paul writes in Romans 16:7, he says, "Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me." Now the question is: Is are they of note? because they are also serving in the ministry of apostles, not the office, but in the ministry, or do the apostles know who Andronicus and Junia are, and they are of note among the apostles? It can go either way. 
I believe that there was probably many more than that that had that gifting. Paul even speaks to us in Corinthians about this, and we'll get into that in a moment, that there are others that also have that gifting of apostles, ones that are sent out. I believe really and truly today we look at those that we send out as missionaries, and they're doing that very thing. They're sent out as ambassadors. They're sent out as envoys, both from the local church, but more than that, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom of God, sent out to do the work of God. As an apostle, Paul didn't come as an ambassador of the church. He declared that he was an apostle, he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He wasn't on any kind of a mission to gain members. He wasn't trying to build up an organization. He was called by the King of Kings to lead people out of the kingdom of darkness into that glorious kingdom of light, and then to set up the church in order to be equipping sinners for those that would come to faith in Christ. That was Paul's calling and his place and his ministry as well as his office. And Paul went by the will of God. Paul's calling in life was to be an apostle. Not because he wanted it, not because some overzealous parent says, hey, I think you ought to become an apostle. Uh, no, it's nothing like that. It was by the will and it was by the call of God. As a matter of fact, if you know the story of Paul, Paul had completely other ideas and thoughts in his mind when God called him. He was the persecutor of the church, moving away actually from the will of God when God called him said, hey, I have a particular work and ministry for you. It was a calling by the will of God. It, it wasn't even the plan of the church. It wasn't the church that got together and says, hey, we need to send out some apostles. Let's take a little boat. Who do you think we ought to do? No, the church, during a time of prayer and fasting, the word says that the Holy Spirit spoke to the men and said, set these apart for the work and for the ministry that I have for him. It was the Holy Spirit of God that set him apart. It's Paul who helps us to understand, again, that this setting, this calling, all of these gifts, the gifts and the callings of God are various, and the variety is absolutely necessary for the benefit, for the well-being of the church at large. You're familiar with much of what's probably said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but let me remind you, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and 11, Paul writes these things, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Not as the individual wills, but as the Spirit of God wills. God gifts and calls individuals for the work of various and assorted ministries within the church. Paul goes on to say down at the end of chapter 12, he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And on and on he goes with the understanding that, no, there's a variety. The need for that variety. Your gifting is not my gifting. My gifting does not necessarily make me anything more special than any other area. It's just the calling and the gifting of God. It's the purpose and the plan of God. It's God that calls and God that directs. And we need to be surrendered to that will in our lives, whatever that is. 
The faithfulness of a stay-at-home mom, the faithfulness of, a, of an office worker to, to do all that God has called for them to do, the faithfulness of a construction worker or a truck driver or whatever it might be. So again, this is where God has called me to be a witness and a testimony of him to the people that he's brought me to. The gifts and the calling and the direction of God. Are we surrendered to that? Are we submitted to him regardless of our situation in order that we might be used by him? God had this purpose. He had a plan for Paul just as he does for every believer. Paul called by the will of God to minister to and to write to these churches even. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, the very city of Ephesus. Some say that Ephesus was the the Asian version of Corinth. Uh, Corinth, we we read a lot about, we speak a lot about about the just the wickedness and the vileness of Corinth, and yet. Ephesus had the same kind of, again, uh, sinful attitude, worldly attitude, filled with pagan worship. As a matter of fact, Ephesus was known for the temple of Diana, the goddess of fertility. As a matter of fact, her temple that they built there was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. It was so impactful for that city. And Paul is called to write to those who love the Lord Jesus, who are trying to follow him, they're in that city with those kinds of surroundings. Paul first encountered the church of Ephesus during his second missionary journey. This was several years before the writing of this letter, around 48 to 52 A.D. After leaving Corinth, he had sailed with his companions across the Aegean Sea and landed there in Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. And he began teaching at a local synagogue while he was there, reasoning with the Jews. And Acts chapter 18 tells us that they asked him to stay for a longer time with them. But he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Not a very long stay. But the next time we see Paul in reference to Ephesus is actually during his third missionary journey. And this time he spends the greatest portion of that journey, of that third missionary journey, there in the city of Ephesus. The account of this time we look at, or you can look at later, it's found in, in Acts chapter 19. As he was there, there were so many that were moved by the Spirit of God to receive Christ and to change from idol worship to the worship of the one true God, that it began to impact that city in a commercial way. Financially, it began to hurt those who were selling these little idols to Diana. And we can read about that story again there in Acts 19, that a riot took place. And they began to, again, uh, uh, come against not only Paul, but all the Christians, because, again, they were, they were destroying the worship of Diana. It had an impact on commercial sales. It's interesting. I wonder, wonder when the last time the move of the Spirit of God within a church or within a community impacted a city commercially. I don't remember any in recent history. 
We can read of some of the great revivals of of years ago that suddenly bars were closing and houses of prostitution were shutting down because, again, the customer base just was not there. That's been a long, long time since anything like that's happened. And how we need a fresh revival, how we need the Spirit of God to impact the city. We look at our little city of Casa Grande, you know, uh, 20 years ago. uh, Well, some of you that have been here longer than that, you think, here's this nice, sleepy little town away from all the problems of the big metropolis areas of Tucson and and Phoenix, and yet Casa Grande has all of the same problems now, if not more. Oh, how the church needs to impact our community. Well, following the riot, Paul leaves Ephesus. He travels on north to Troas, then over to Philippi comes on down to Corinth, spends some time there. After that, then he retraces his step back around by land. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow The Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.